Welcome investors to the Absolute Return Podcast, your source for stock market analysis, global macro musings, and hedge fund investment strategies. Your hosts, Julian Klamotko and Michael Kesslering, aim to bring you the knowledge and analysis you need to become a more intelligent and wealthier investor. This episode is brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. Welcome, podcast listeners, to the Absolute Return Podcast. I'm your host, Julian Klamachko. I'm joined by my co-host, Mike Kesslering. And on today's podcast, we welcome a special guest, Energy Vault co-founder and CEO, Robert Picconi. Energy Vault creates gravity-based, grid-scale energy storage solutions with its proprietary technology. On the show, Rob discusses the initial idea behind the founding of Energy Vault, how Energy Vault's energy storage systems work, insights into the company's recent growing public transaction, how Energy Vault differs from the competition, and more. So with no further ado, here's our show with Energy Vault co-founder and CEO, Rob Picconi. We have Rob on the show today from Energy Vault, a really compelling and interesting story, in my opinion, that builds off the big macro thesis of renewable power and a way to store it. So Rob, prior to getting into the Energy Vault story, I was wondering if we could get a bit of background on yourself. Specifically, you've had a fairly diverse career. It's spanned from executive roles at a number of Fortune 100 companies. We have British Petroleum, Bell Labs, Lucent Technologies, Danaher Corporation. So a lot of experience at these large cap companies. But you've also been active on the entrepreneurial side, founding several innovative healthcare service and medical device companies. Can you walk us through your career history up to and prior to the founding of Energy Vault. Sure, happy to, Juliana. Thanks for uh, having me on here. I, I started in diversified energy, so uh, very interesting being in renewables now and coming full circle. But I started with a company called Amico that some of us might remember that have some gray hair. Uh, that was one of the larger uh, U.S. Uh, integrated oil companies that merged with British Petroleum. Uh, so uh, that's where I started my career and worked in the U.S. Uh, and in Europe during that that first portion. Um, and then if you remember then the late, later 90s, what was happening with technology and this thing called the internet <laughs> that was uh, starting to, to ramp, uh, I was really fascinated on technology and, and more on the use and the application of it and how it was fundamentally changing how we interact, how businesses interact both with themselves and with the end consumers. And, uh, and really was spending a lot of time there. So I, uh, I shifted my career out of uh, BP Amico, uh, did one year graduate school at, uh, at Northwestern at Kellogg School of Management, and then uh, joined Bell Labs and Lucent Technologies to be a part of the evolution of, of networking and, and the evolution of technology. And um, so I spent uh, another seven years there uh, at, uh, and worked in, and up to and including running uh, some of the businesses there on the broadband side at uh, at Lucent uh, was a part of another large transatlantic merger between Alcatel and Lucent uh, at that time. So a second one in uh, in uh, about fifteen years, uh, and then uh, and then post that, I that's when I started to get into running um, businesses and was recruited to run Spirant uh, Communications, which was another another public company in the serving the telecom and high tech. Uh, high-tech performance testing space. Uh, and that's when I, I really uh, enjoyed 
the process of going into a company and, and building it, uh, creating a lot of value uh, and creating a lot of value for shareholders, for customers. And so I did work with large private equity firms then and getting to run businesses. So this entered a more entrepreneurial phase of my career post some of the work I, that I did with Danaher. And, uh, and that got me into uh, some healthcare uh, companies and areas that I, uh, I developed in Switzerland and also created some companies that, that eventually um, I sold to, uh, to private equity firms. But, but that, uh, along that journey is when I met Bill Gross. So I met, I met Bill Gross in uh, 2008, and that's when he was looking to hire a C- CEO for one of his new renewable companies, a company called eSolar at the time. And that, that timing didn't work out because I was just going to Switzerland um, in the healthcare space. Uh, but Bill and I stayed in touch. Uh, Bill's the founder um, and CEO of Idealab, uh, which is one of the largest incubators. And through the about 10 years, we collaborated on different renewable technologies. And, and that's what actually, um, you know, when he had this great idea for energy storage, that's what led him to, uh, to give me a call. And, uh, and that's how we sort of got started on Energy Vault. So getting into the Energy Vault story, what was the initial idea and how has it evolved since then? Sure. So Bill Gross had developed the idea and created the concept of looking to use gravity to solve this problem in, in energy storage. And he called me when he had iterated some ideas about the, the main concept and I got involved with it. And, um, you know, essentially as we were looking to solve this problem in energy storage, which is a, a very big problem to solve, it's, it's very difficult to store electrons cost effectively. You can very cheaply create them. You can burn anything or now wind and solar, of course, is, the cheapest energy generation in the world by 50 to 70% uh, lower than the cheapest fossil fuel. But the problem is if it's going to replace a fossil fuel generation, it has to be able to be dispatched on demand. And unfortunately, the sun creates a lot of energy during the day that when the demand's not, not high enough. And also the wind creates energy at night when typically there's not the demand. So you need to have a way to store it. So then you could combine wind and solar with a cost-effective storage and start to turn off the fossil fuel. So as we looked at the problem, Julian, we had three main parameters that were fundamental for us. First one was time. So we really felt the urgency and knew that the problems that the heating up of the atmosphere and the planet was causing, and we've seen them most recently in these severe weather events that unfortunately have uh, you know, resulted in the loss of life. So it was very important that we not only focus on technology that could come to market in a reasonable period of time. But that also included the time to, to build it and actually get it operating. Um, so this aspect of time was important for us. And that that meant certain technologies that had long roadmaps or a lot of risk in them for five to 10 years, that was off limits to us. Okay. The, the second thing that was fundamental was this economic equation. And for us, that meant innovating in a way to be so low cost that it became even without subsidies or government incentives, okay, you could take low-cost wind and solar, add in the cost of our storage of a, of a low-cost storage solution, and have something that would for the first time be competitive with fossil fuel. So something that just gave it, it became an economic imperative to do it, not just because there was some moral imperative to do it for the planet. And then the third thing that was fundamental for us, and I would say this is quite unique to us as an energy storage 
company is the sustainability aspect and the environmental aspects. And what that means is we didn't want to create and solve one problem for the world in energy storage, but create a liability in the process. So that means, for example, lithium ion and those type of scarce or rare metals that still have some safety issues or that come from only a few parts of the world, those types of things that had any risk of harming the environment were off limits to us. And even some materials like concrete, for example. So so to build things typically, especially how we're solving the problem, you need weight and um, concrete is one of them. However, it, you create seven to eight percent of the greenhouse gases in the world come from the production of concrete. So this meant also for us looking at and innovating in material science with alternative materials. Um, and it also meant for us looking at our supply chain to be as local as possible um, to reduce the GHGs from the transport sector, which is the highest uh, GHGs in the world come out of the mobility and transport sector. So, so being being as local as possible, which is also very good, you know, for jobs in the local economies uh, that that we work with, was also fundamental. So, so those were the the three things that were fundamental for us, and and that led us to the solution, which uh, essentially. Um, had us take gravity, which is the basis of 90% of all energy storage today, comes from these large pumped hydroelectric dams that essentially use uh, gravity. And, and in this case, water, uh, they use that when it lowers from a height, it turns a motor. So we looked at essentially taking the use of gravity, just like the pumped hydroelectric uh, dams, and we developed first to get the height, uh, a specialized structure and a lifting mechanism. The first iteration was a six arm rotating tower crane. Uh, in the second iteration, which is what we're actually building out now, it's essentially just like a building uh, with a vertical lifting system. And to get that weight, which is the basis of uh, the storage medium, instead of concrete, we innovated with Semex, which is a large uh, a large Mexican buildings conglomerate. Just uniquely, their material science lab and head of innovation was based in Switzerland. Uh, so we uh, innovated with them uh, and used a special polymer that they had used to make low-cost roads in emerging markets uh, to make a, uh, a pavement surface strong enough where trucks uh, and cars could drive on it, uh, but you could do it with soil. So you could make from 95% plus that road from just the dirt that already was existing. So we worked with them and developed a way to use just the dirt from the excavation to make these 35 metric ton composite blocks. So in doing so, that obviously becomes then a very locally produced solution. So we essentially, the way the technology works, um, we take excess wind and solar when it's not needed from the grid. That excess wind and solar energy uh, turns the motors that lifts these composite blocks to to a height. At height, uh, this goes back to your physics classes, all of those weights are potential energy. So the weights that are sitting at height are just waiting to be lowered. Uh, and we have a specialized software that's machine vision, computerized control, and AI that dynamically and automates the whole process. When the grid needs the energy, we essentially lower those uh, composite blocks in a predefined way and at a predefined speed to essentially meet the output parameters, whatever megawatts that the customer defines. We'll lower that, that block that turns the motor generators uh, and creates the electricity. So uh, this is a it's a it's a fascinating integration and innovation of conventional physics with um, some very sophisticated uh, 21st century software that to do things today we couldn't do uh, you know 20 years ago 
uh, and with some very sophisticated material science that allows us to be very environmentally sustainable and ultra low cost. And now a word from our sponsor, Accelerate, one of Canada's most innovative and fastest growing alternative investment solution providers with a suite of institutional caliber alternative ETFs for investors seeking diversification and long-term performance. The Accelerate Arbitrage Fund, symbol ARB on the TSX, is the world's first SPAC-focused ETF with a diversified portfolio of SPAC and merger arbitrage opportunities in an easy-to-use, low-cost ETF. The Accelerate Arbitrage Fund ETF trades under the symbol ARB on the Toronto Stock Exchange. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. So in comparison versus other competing energy storage products, you mentioned hydro, which is about 90%. There's also chemical batteries as an option. What makes energy vault system better, more efficient, uh, et cetera? How do you compete in that marketplace? Sure. I'd say there's probably three or four areas where we have competitive differentiators. So one fundamental one is we use gravity uh, and have a storage medium that doesn't degrade over time. So most companies today in the utilities, Julian, are thinking about levelized cost when they make these investments. So what does that mean? Not only the initial capex to buy the system, but they have to look at, um, is there any uh, what's called augmentation capex? So is there any additional large investments you have to make? So in the case of lithium ion, it degrades like your cell phone and laptop over time. They actually have to replace those depleted cells. So that's additional capex. They also look at the operating expense uh, over that time period. So the cost to actually operate it. So one of the big advantages we had on a levelized cost basis, because our storage medium doesn't degrade, right? These composite blocks can last, uh, we say, 30 to 35 years plus, meaning um, there's really no reason for any any degradation of them. Uh, So we have a a very strong economic value proposition across CapEx, the the OPEX, the operating expense to operate the system, and the end of life. Um, So uh, that really sets us apart from things like lithium-ion technologies that um, not only are more expensive, but uh, they also have environmental issues and some safety issues that still need to be worked out. As we've seen recently, um, the fire in Australia at the Tesla facility, just two weeks ago, we had a shutdown of Moss Landing here in California uh, of the battery system there because of some overheating. So I'd say that's that's one aspect. The other differentiation we would have, um, in addition to the levelized cost uh, economics, uh, is the environmental aspect. So we not only um, have a sustainable supply chain, we are you know primarily local, so so we don't um, rely on materials from from just certain parts of the world. But in addition, we have an added benefit that's environmental in that not only can we use soil to make those bricks locally, but we can use things like coal ash, the fiberglass from decommissioned wind blades that's becoming a bigger and bigger problem now that the wind blades are getting traded. So uh, those things otherwise go to landfills. So these these wind blades are either burned or buried. The EU, by the way, just made that illegal. Uh, and um, and coal ash obviously is going into um, into the into the ground into into landfills. So we can take those materials and help the customers save money. So instead of the cost of having to transport those and, and landfill them, we actually provide that savings to the customer and can utilize those materials in our composite bricks. So that's another aspect of our technology that again allows us to be local but adds this beneficial reuse of waste material that's that's unique to us so i think those all of those factors uh and being at utility scale um 
uh, also to address the problem are, are definitely competitive differentiators for, for our tech that, that can be deployed today uh, as well. So that's um, important for time. And speaking of utility scale, who would be the typical customer for Energy Vault? Yeah, I would say there's three to four main groups of customers. Uh, the first one are the classic utilities, so that are uh, trying to build out more renewable and trying to shut down uh, maybe coal plants or, or gas-fired plants. Um, so that's that's one set, and their their main application, Julian, is time shifting, where they they need to meet demand in the early evening or the early morning, um, and uh, and and try to shut down the, the fossil fuel. The second group of customers are what are called IPPs or independent power producers. So these are the likes of, um, as we announced, for example, NL Green Power, which is in 28 countries. Uh, they're a, an affiliate with the uh, public utility in Italy of NL, but they deploy wind and solar. They couple solar with it, uh, so, sorry, our storage with it. And then they provide power to utilities. They sign long-term PPAs or power purchase agreements with utilities. So um, in the U.S., there are companies like Eight Minutes Energy, uh, Invenergy, uh, Nextera, uh, for example, are these these larger independent players. The, the third group for us that we serve um, are the large industrial customers that need to power their facility 24 hours a day, and they're providing important services. So, for example, desalination plants that make millions of gallons of drinking water, they go 24-7, and they can use solar PV solar during the day, because most of them are in arid areas, but they need four to six megawatt of base load through the night. So we take um, that excess solar from their PV plants during the day, and we would provide that over eight to 12 hours to power them through the night. And you can think about, you know, steel companies or any liquid metal companies that really operate 24-7. So there's a, a strong industrial value proposition here, it gets into this four area, fourth area of customers. Um, for example, any, any renewable fuel companies, um, for example, to make green hydrogen, uh, or uh, we have a customer that's making green ammonia. Ammonia is used for fertilizer, where to do that, you need a longer duration storage because you're taking PV with an electrolyzer, and you have to run that process to essentially split water and make green hydrogen. So they need longer duration storage. And there's some there's some just massive projects uh, that are being both contemplated and being contracted, and we're involved in some of those that are making sustainable fuels. So that's a, another very interesting application, and, and that gets into other, you know, any other businesses that run 24-7 data centers. You've heard about Bitcoin mining. So, so that's the, so it, it's a pretty broad gamut of customers, Julian. That's, it, makes, it makes what I'm doing, I, I, I'm just in the best job in the world because of the nature of how we solve the problem. And the types of customer sets that, that we can serve with it. And now a word from our sponsor, Accelerate. Do you want to diversify your investment portfolio while benefiting the planet? The Accelerate Carbon Negative Bitcoin ETF, symbol ABTC on the Toronto Stock Exchange, provides investors with exposure to Bitcoin while protecting the environment. Accelerate implements a global tree planting campaign to sequester carbon emissions and help fight climate change. Up to 10% of ABTC's 69 basis point management fee will be allocated to Accelerate's annual tree planting campaign. For each $1,000 invested in ABTC, an estimated one net ton of carbon dioxide is expected to be sequestered each year. Buy Bitcoin, save the planet. 
Find out more at investabtc.com. So as I understand, you have projects that are um, customer-owned and then projects that are owned by Energy Vault. Can you talk about what the split is between those types of projects and, and whether you have a preference when, when you're developing a project? Yeah, thank you, Michael. Great question. So most of our business, especially early on with the technology, so the basis of the first eight agreements that we've signed and executed are ones where we are working with our customers to build the energy storage, to commission it, and then we turn it over to the customer to operate. And these customers are um, anywhere from some of the utilities. There's some independents, independent power players. There's also uh, two of them are related to um, green jet fuel, or or one of them is a large green jet fuel producer. Another one is a data center provider that's doing data center infrastructure. So um, most of our projects, especially in the first part of our uh, business plan, will be the ones that actually purchase the system. And then we support them with software and a long-term maintenance agreement over time. So we continue a relationship with them, obviously, as they operate the system. We do have a second set of uh, a second business model that we use, as you rightfully uh, point out, that are projects where we essentially co make co-equity investments in a project and use financing to build them on our balance sheet and with partners. And then we sign a long-term power purchase agreement to provide that power or to a utility or to an industrial player. So that's another business model. And that has very attractive returns. As you know, there's a lot of capital that wants to finance these and the interest rates are quite low. So that's actually fairly attractive. And I would say that um, we, we have a, uh, a, a, per, a very good example of that in California with the community choice aggregator. This is not announced yet and it's not part of the first aid agreements that we've talked about, but it will be um, coming soon where that's a 50 megawatt, 400 megawatt hour um, system. So um, that's a it's an eight hour system. So very interesting. Uh, and is one where we are going to own that um, with some partners and then sign a long-term power purchase agreement. So you guys have been super busy on the corporate development and fundraising side of the business to obviously fund your growth. What I found very interesting is $100 million Series C funding in August, and you follow that up within a matter of weeks with a SPAC merger. Um, can you outline the strategy behind the capital raising and this going public transaction? Sure. It, it's a great question, and it's a, it does sort of strike right away, and, and it begs the question of, wow, you know, $100 million and then a, an IPO. So uh, essentially, uh, as we last year connected our first commercial system to the grid, the 5-megawatt system, and had the technology proven, all the main elements proven, at the same time, we we're developing with customers uh, in a way and started to sign agreements. So as we, as we announced these eight, these first eight agreements, we have another 18 to 20 that are in, in process where we've been selected and we're, we're working on the contract. So as we got that visibility and to meet that demand, we had started the process of a series C uh, and we had targeted it originally at 75 million we ended up raising it because it was oversubscribed, 100 million. And, and we're working on that this year. And that's what was announced in August, as, as you rightfully point out. And I think then people saw that as very logical. They understood we were developing the tech and now doing deployments. And so that, I think, made sense to people. And then to your question, 
think the surprise was in WOW, and then you announced an, an IPO. Uh, and that was something that was also in the works. And as we looked at the demand, Julian, that we had to go meet across literally five continents, we saw this ability to uh, to capture and, and work with a partner, in this case, it's Novus, and, and integrate with them. They're a, um, a company that had $288 million in trust of cash, and we're looking at companies to merge with. And we saw this as a great opportunity to fully capitalize our business plan. So what does that mean? That means going forward, myself and the team can focus solely on execution and really accelerating our ability to drive market adoption of the technology, which for us, that means achieving our mission of decarbonization and accelerating that process and getting renewables deployed in a, in a broader way. So that was that amount of capital, if you look at it as us having now between you know, 350 and 500 million of cash without any debt means I can focus with the team here at Energy Vault on meeting customer needs. And speaking of execution, meeting customer needs, an investor presentation, see a forecast revenue growth to over 1 billion of revenue by 2024. Can you talk about what this growth entails and how you're going to meet that forecast? Essentially, it starts with that, that first business model that Michael had asked about on on us essentially beginning to deploy and build out projects and then turn them over to customers. So the way that process works is as we build those projects, there's a, a, a progress a recognition uh, with customers that allows us to recognize that revenue over time. So our financial plan is the result of us looking at all the projects that we've executed, plus all the projects that are uh, in process of getting um, agreements signed and formalizing what's called NTPs or notice to proceed from the customer. So there's always a process of an initial uh, letter of intent that gets signed uh, and then a final definitive agreement. And then there's a final notice to proceed. So all of this is part of working with energy providers. And we basically lined that up in the financial plan that's now public um, that looks at a uh, revenue recognition essentially over that, that same period. So I would say that in general, um, we have a, a plan based on what we've executed that's uh, very reasonable. And uh, especially in looking at the ramp for next year, which is $148 million of revenue. And then uh, as projects both get finished and turned over and new ones start, you see a, a very strong ramp of revenue up over a half a billion into 2023. And as you point out, into 2024, over a, over a billion of, of revenue. So it's just that's just following a logical sequence of uh, progress on projects getting converted deployed and turned over to customers. So one overarching theme that becomes very clear with the energy vault storage is that of sustainability. You mentioned the mission of accelerating decarbonization. What has been the feedback from investors so far? Well, we've had very positive feedback, as you uh, would have noticed, by just the type of people that are investing in the company. So we've got some of the largest uh, VC funds earlier on in the world. So SoftBank came in earlier at the Series B. That was followed by some some very strong investors and and some of the largest companies in the world. So Saudi Aramco Energy Ventures. So that I think that's very interesting and unique as a company to not only have you know venture capital money but strategics. So Pickering Energy Partners, um, another strategics, Semex Semex Ventures has invested through two rounds. Uh, I should mention Saudi Aramco also invested um, uh, through two rounds in the company. So it's a, um, I think the investors 
have really appreciated not only the fact that there's a, a very large market, it's a large growth market, there's a, a strong global need for it. Um, I think other market things in, uh, in, in the regulation side and even countries and governments now uh, really making public commitments. So there's a strong momentum. Uh, some of the changes in the U.S., for example, with the Biden administration and what they're really pushing to get to get clean energy accelerated. So I think all of that has resulted in investors, to answer your question, that uh, we've attracted from different different sectors, uh, both uh, financial investors, strategics, and I think uh, to touch on a point you mentioned in the environmental, this is a very important point for the investor community now that not only are we solving a problem in energy storage, Julian, but we're solving it in a way that's sustainable, that's safe. And in fact, even more than that, we're reusing waste materials. So we have this circular economic aspect to our solution. And we've really thought about, you know, the position of our company and societies and the communities in which we work. And that for us is a, um, is a strong commitment we have as a company. And I think that's, that's, been very attractive to to investors that that really appreciate that thinking and in the management of the business. I saw a stat this morning that showed there were over 1500 ESG indices for investors. So it's a major theme these days, uh, environmental friendliness, sustainability. And I find it super interesting uh, how you guys incorporate that into all parts of the business. You mentioned the composite blocks and how you source, you know, uh, you create those in a sustainable manner, which I think is super uh, interesting for the story. Now, for an investor looking at Energy Vault, soon to be up in trading once this merger closes, there are a number of other new energy storage companies in the market. Why should investors focus on Energy Vault? What really sets you apart? Well, I think, uh, first of all, it's a great market we're in in energy storage. So this would, um, I think, be fundamental. Investors like to put money in areas that are growing and and that will be very large. I think specific to Energy Vault is, I think I'd start with the fact that we're actually ready now to be deployed. So in terms of timing, if you're an investor that, you know, wants to invest in something that's that's going to be deployed in volume now and not wait a few years for something to happen, I think that's a that's an important factor. Fundamentally, our value proposition on economics. So that's fundamental that we have a levelized cost that Um, People like Bloomberg New Energy Finance and other third parties have recognized that we're solving the problem in a way with a storage medium that doesn't degrade, that has just an amazing economic value proposition. So I'd say that is something, um, regardless of what happens with subsidies from governments uh, and other incentives that could put in place, I think that's fundamental for investors to understand that we have a strong unit economic value proposition. Um, And then I'd say the the final thing gets to what you mentioned around the sustainability aspect. I think, I think there's expectations that investors are going to have from an ESG perspective that not only should we solve that problem of energy storage, but we should solve it sustainably. And for us, that means safe. That means environmentally um, looking at the materials that we use, so we aren't, you know, adding to the GHGs and building out our our energy storage. Uh, and that's something very unique to us. So I think from an investor perspective, the fact that they can get to your point on ESG, the E, very strong, the environmental value proposition, and the S in sustainability. And of course, from a governance perspective, we're very sensitive about that to ensure we have you know, a, a right corporate governance uh, and the right involvement of shareholders in, in key decisions. So I think, I think across those aspects um, are things that I think investors, as they think about energy storage and 
and I'll say that we need as much as we can get. So I am a fan of, uh, of all energy storage uh, um, that will serve this market. But I think it, it, it's incumbent upon uh, the companies to really innovate and use innovation to also um, not only be very low cost, but to be cognizant of our role in the environment and be sustainable. And that that is where I think true innovation can intersect and create a solution like like we've done. What I find compelling about the energy vault storage uh, story is the ingenuity, the engineering, the optimization of gravity to create this storage system in a very sustainable and environmentally friendly method. So Rob, I'd like to thank you for coming on the show today for investors interested in the stock. Novus Capital 2, the merger partner trading under the symbol NXU. And once this deal closes as expected in the first quarter of next year, your symbol will be GWHR. Wish you the best of luck, Rob. It's a super cool story and we're interested to watch it progress. Great. Julian and Michael, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me here and we'll look forward to uh, the follow-up on updates with you in the future. All right. Thanks so much. Take care. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Absolute Return Podcast. This episode was brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. The views expressed in this podcast are the personal views of the participants and do not reflect the views of Accelerate. No aspect of this podcast constitutes investment, legal, or tax advice. Opinions expressed in this podcast should not be viewed as a recommendation or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any securities or investment strategies. The information and opinions in this podcast are based on current market conditions and may fluctuate and change in the future. No representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made on behalf of Accelerate. As to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast, Accelerate does not accept any liability for any direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage suffered by any person as a result of relying on all or any part of this podcast, and any liability is expressly disclaimed.